0: everyone, before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the
1: media drop-down, click sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon.
0: Well, Lisa and I arrived in Colorado in September of 2005. Bryson was four and Andrew was two, and Kaylee was just a twinkle in her daddy's eye. Before we came to Discovery, we served at a large church in Las Vegas. The staff was around 150 people. I was one of 35 associate pastors. And I worked primarily in crisis intervention and local partnerships, which you might imagine in Las Vegas was never dull. Uh, Lisa was serving in the preschool ministry, and she'd also taught uh, preschoolers with autism. I preached occasionally at that church, maybe three or four times a year. I loved my crisis intervention work but we were sensing a call from God to move into lead pastoring. I've always loved theology, and I wanted to spend more time doing theological work and preaching. Also, I was captivated by a vision of what the local church could be, and I knew that the best chance of helping that vision become a reality was to serve as a lead pastor. Our friends joined us in prayer about this. We sought some wise counsel, One wise sage told us to find a young church that's willing to grow with a young leader, willing to give you time to find your feet. That turned out to be excellent advice. I was a young leader who had never led a church before. I preached, but I'd never preached every week before. And that first year at Discovery, I preached 48 weeks of sermons, and I would guess about 10 or 15 of them were decent. I remember in the early days of doing starting point, you know, that luncheon we have for people who are newer, I was so insecure about being a lead pastor, I would just go ahead and tell the guests that I wasn't actually sure if I was lead pastor material. And I remember one of the newer members, Eric, pulling me aside after a starting point and just very gently and, and encouragingly saying that he thought maybe I shouldn't keep saying that to guests, that it was very confusing for guests to hear from the lead pastor that they were ambivalent about whether they could be a lead pastor or not. Incidentally, that wise sage who gave us that advice, he was also one of my references, and when the Discovery elders called him for a reference, he told them I was rough around the edges, and I had good raw materials, and if they gave me a few years to settle in, it might work out. Again, wise words. So Discovery hired me, and we linked arms together to turn this vision into reality. Discovery was six years old at the time. One of the first obvious needs Discovery had was to go from being dirt owners to becoming building owners. How hard could that be? And Tom Morris, who was playing mandolin today, and for those of you who don't know, was my boss before I was his boss. Anyway, Tom and I would drive all around the front range chasing any possible opportunity for our church to build a building on 144th and Zuni. We spent literally, I mean literally, hundreds of hours in meetings with anyone we thought might have a hope of a resource or a path for us to build. We were trying to eke out a multi-million dollar building for the 150 to 200 of us that called Discovery home while managing a million dollar debt on the land. We laugh about those meetings now because so many of them were so harebrained but we were desperate. I remember one guy was a real estate consultant. I'm sorry to say we even paid this guy money And we met with him several times to try to find a path. He did all this analysis for us. We were so excited to meet with him with his results. He was going to come back and deliver a result. And he was so proud of himself when he told us that what we should explore is a scalable campus. For those of you who don't know, it sounds what it is. If if you want to build a 200,000 square foot building, maybe begin at 50,000 square foot with what you can afford and shell out the rest and build as you go. But We could afford approximately a small, single-family, one-bedroom home. And so that meant that we would have to start from an outhouse size. One guy tried to get us to partner with Deepak Chopra. No kidding. Deepak Chopra was looking to build something in the northern suburbs, and our land was one of the options he was looking at, and we knew that wasn't going to work out. In my first few years, we saw several excellent church plants close after years of being portable in schools, And we knew that we needed our own place if we were going to have a generational impact in the area. I used to keep track of it in the first five years I was here from 2005 to 2010 or 2011. It was something like 12 or 17 church plants in our area shut their doors. And these were good churches led by good people that just couldn't sustain and we knew that we had to get out of our building, too. We were in an elementary school cafeteria, cafeteria, they called it. What we learned is anytime two words are put together to form one word, it's always the worst of that whichever word it is. So it was a cafeteria and an auditorium, which means it was a cafeteria. Going from dirt owners to building owners remains one of the toughest and most exhilarating ministry endeavors I've ever been a part of. Also, in those early days, we faced we face situations you simply can't prepare for, like the time when the attorney for the Discovery Channel actually called and threatened to sue our church because our podcast had the name Discovery in it. We were the Discovery Cast. We just went on iTunes and filled in the name. We called it Discovery Cast. And when the attorney informed me, that we were violating something. I was very apologetic. I said, I'm so sorry, we didn't even consider like doing a trademark search. or We didn't know that you own the name Discovery Cast, And he replied, we don't own it. We just want it, and we will sue you to get it. I know, it kind of puts you off Discovery Channel just a little, doesn't it? <laughs> I, we had a meeting with the elders. Many of you know that I have a smart aleck edge to me, and it doesn't always serve our church well. And I asked the elders how much fun I could have with this guy and how much we should take it seriously. And the elders said, have have fun, but don't end up in court. (laughs) So as we chatted, he explained that their tens of thousands of loyal listeners were confusing the Lance Armstrong Tour de France podcast with my sermons. I tried to explain. He had no sense of humor, this guy. He explained that we had dozens of loyal listeners ourselves. (laughs) And that also, why didn't he advise his client that if their listeners cannot reliably tell the difference between Lance Armstrong's Tua Diary and my sermons, they have such bigger problems than us. (laughs) He was not amused. There's a lot more to the story. I won't waste it now. We went back and forth over many, several weeks. We tried to sell him the name Discovery Cast, where they would donate all the profits to a global charity that helped people in need. We thought they would get great publicity out of that. He threatened to take us to court. We explained that they would win if they took us to court, and we would take them down by calling 60 Minutes and 2020, and every media outlet, because this giant behemoth of a communication channel was picking on a little church, and all we do was care for widows and orphans. I was having the time of my life. (laughs) He wrote us a letter on a letterhead. We still have it somewhere upstairs, saying that we agreed to only ever podcast in the religion channel. We couldn't afford an attorney to write a response. So our worship leader at the time, Eric... He suggested we continue the fun and we start naming sermon series after Discovery Channel TV shows. So, immediately I preached a series on Jonah called Deadliest Catch. And we, we just boldly grabbed their graphics and everything. And then I did a series on the phrases we think are in the Bible that are not in the Bible. Phrases like, God won't give you more than you can bear, it's actually not in the Bible. We called that one Mythbusters and Eric and I dressed up in lab coats. Those early years were intense, but our vision was taking shape and we spent hours sifting through ideas, sorting limited resources, identifying leaders, and we also spent those same years struggling to get our church into a building. And far and away, the hardest and most painful of all, even though this era ended 10 years ago, it is still profoundly painful. We buried very good friends who were key leaders in this church, the chairman of the elders, a volunteer worship leader, uh, a man in my small group, and a young leader in our church, four men in five years. Where many of us, some of you were there in those days, we would stand around a graveside on a Saturday and then go worship together on a Sunday. Those remain some of the hardest and most faith-stretching years of my life. There's a saying in church leadership circles, I I wouldn't blame you if you've never heard this, but it goes around pastors. The saying is this, the local church is the hope of the world. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but that's what some pastors say. The local church is the hope of the world. I don't believe that for a minute. I think actually that statement is heresy. If the local church is the hope of the world, every one of us is doomed. But Jesus is the hope. The local church isn't the hope. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. The local church's job is to point to the hope. We're not the hope. We worship the hope. And our role in society and also our great privilege is to worship the hope of the world in such a beautiful, tangible, and compelling way that it makes others want to worship the hope of the world as well. So we point to the hope, which is Jesus Christ, and we point to the hope in some very specific and tangible ways, and these are some of the things that Lisa and I felt that God had given us like a burning conviction on when we first came to Discovery. We worship Jesus by partnering with other people in our city. You know, a lot of well-meaning churches, they start programs for people without ever first asking what's already going on in that city. but. What ought to happen is the church ought to first go to the city frontline workers, ask what they're already doing, ask where the recurring areas of need are, where the broken places are, and then partner and join in on that effort rather than just doing our own thing. About 13 years ago, we simply started showing up to city meetings and we asked how we could help. And we were met with huge suspicion and mistrust. I remember one social worker, she has since become a friend of mine, she had a very negative view of churches, and she told me publicly in a meeting in front of everybody, she said, you picket against the kinds of people I try to help. And I tried to explain that I've never held a picket sign in my life. I believe Jesus died for people, not causes. But over time, we earn trust by simply helping when we were asked to help. And it was always tangible things that government social workers were not allowed to do. They're so strictly regulated. But we're a church. We have no regulations whatsoever. We can do whatever God calls us to do. And after a few simple requests and after a few times we met needs, the office phones started ringing. Word was spreading around social workers and school teachers and principals and police officers. He was the word. If you're ever stuck with a client or a family and you need something, Discovery will try to help, and they don't care if you go to their church or not. I really enjoy those early voicemails from strangers. We'd come into the office, and we'd check the voicemail, and that inevitably this person would say, hey, we've never met before, and I'm kind of uncomfortable calling because I don't know you, but I'm a social worker for the city of Broomfield, and I was told by a colleague that your church helps us when we're stuck with a client, and I have this situation, and then off they would go. We gave rides, we helped elderly people, we still do all this by the way, get to their medical appointments. We helped disabled people apply for disability and then we advocated for them through the process. I don't know if you're aware of this, but about 30% of people who are disabled who are eligible to receive disability cannot get disability because their disability stops them from being able to fill out the form and apply. Is that not the daftest thing you've ever heard? And government social workers are not allowed to help them by law, but the church can because we can do anything. One time we got a call for a high school senior who was being abused by her parents. The case managers had moved her out of her place. They put her in an apartment, and they just needed a bike and a few meals a week to help her until she graduated. She just wanted to stay in the same school and graduate in the same school even though she was in a different place. A bike and a few meals a week? Churches were born to do that kind of thing. That was an easy yes. One time, we got a phone call for a group of men to go over to the home of a domestic violence survivor. We walked into that room the day after the incident. Uh, It's still vivid in my mind. Her husband had been taken to jail the night before, but while he was waiting for the police, he took a knife and he carved threats into the bedroom furniture and the walls so that while he was in jail, she would be reminded of what he would do when he got out. Our crew did a full remodel of a room. We sanded back the threats until they were invisible. We replaced all the sheetrock. We provided trauma therapy. Now, I I don't wanna sound naive. The church cannot take pain away. We cannot undo what has been done. We are aware that by sanding the threats away does not take the threat away, but what we can do is come alongside people in pain, and serve them and love them in tangible ways. And Discovery is a church that moves toward people in pain. We have never been afraid of pain. I believe God's called a church not to charity because charity strips people of dignity. I believe God calls the church to something much more difficult, which is solidarity and reciprocity. Secular culture loves charity. Secular culture loves those who have doing for those who have not, but that strips people of dignity. The lowest form of poverty is not to be out of money. The lowest form of poverty is when people no longer see you as having anything of value to contribute in society. They want you to stand in a line. They want you to hold out your hand and beg, but they don't see you as somebody who can offer something. But in God's kingdom... Every single human being has a measurable value and dignity. Every single human being, no matter how destitute they are, no matter how broken their life is, no matter what mess they've made of their life, they can contribute. They can make a difference the way the rest of us get to make a difference. Reciprocity, not charity. We believe that global mission trips can be life-changing. So long as we go primarily to learn and make friendships and not primarily to teach. Of course we teach when we go, but that is not our primary driver. And as a general rule, there's always exceptions, but as a general rule, we shouldn't pack a shovel when we go. We shouldn't do construction in another country while the locals stand around wondering why we need so many water breaks because we can't work in the heat, wondering why we spent $2,000 to fly to their country and dig a ditch in front of them that could have employed 10 of them to dig that ditch better and faster than us. But if we go to learn if we go to serve, if we go to cultivate friendship, if we go on the recognition that God is already there before we get there, God's at work, and God will be at work long after we come home, then maybe we can grow and they can benefit. A local church can do so much good in their city that when people outside the church run into trouble and need help, regardless of their relationship with religion, their first thought is going to a local church. I believe that the local church can be the most help per square inch of any place in the front range. Affordable counseling, care for foster parents, organic vegetables, a simple meal, Alcoholics Anonymous, a listening ear, a gas card. You know, so many times people come into this barn during the week just because they know they need to get to a church. It was not long before COVID I was coming into church on a Tuesday morning. It was about 8 a.m. and there was a woman waiting. She was out where the cafe used to be back in the good old pre-COVID days, out where those benches are, and she was waiting for someone to unlock the church. And we sat down. We actually sat right down here where you are there, Kevin. And I asked what's going on, and she broke down, and she told me about the affair that she was having that her husband didn't know about and that the man's wife didn't know about and that the man had committed suicide. And so what was she to do? She had no religious background. She didn't know anything about church. There was just something in her that said, you have to get to a local church. If you go there, they'll help you. But not only individual relief, but also systemic injustice, systemic brokenness, that the local church can be on the front lines of looking at the recurring patterns in our culture that keep people trapped and stuck and do our part to work at that level as well. A church ought to be a place where no matter what you've done and no matter what's been done to you, you're welcome because the simple fact is many people automatically feel outside of the church by default. And especially if you're a survivor of abuse, if you've dealt with significant trauma, you already feel like an outsider. You already think people are judging you. You feel like you don't belong. And so you need that extra welcome to even the keel. I believe... Growing your faith comes from many sources. You can study your Bible, yes, but you can also find someone who is difficult to love and you can love them well. That'll cause growth. Worship is raising your hands and singing to the goodness of God, yes. Worship's also fixing someone's car or throwing a karaoke party for adults with special needs. Doubt and fear and pain is a normal part of the human experience and therefore doubt and fear and pain should be normalized in the church. People who battle doubt or fear or pain should not feel like second-class Christians and church leaders ought to go first in sharing their own doubts and their own fears and their own pain so that people can feel safe to share theirs as well. I think a church should be a leadership factory for young leaders. We should let young leaders lead before they're ready to lead. We should cringe at some of the results, but we should smile and say, good job. People did that for me in my home church, and that's largely a reason I'm in ministry today. I was baptized when I was 14, and I was leading worship when I was 14 and a half. And I can't reliably sing in tune. I can sing maybe half a song. It's very sketchy. And it was pretty cringeworthy in those days. And 14 and a half, it's hard to tell between when I was actually had a heart for worship and when I was just trying to impress that pretty girl in the youth group. But still, the people in the church came up to me and said, good job. There are some lies that God allows. (laughs) Tithing and generosity can be fun, especially when you tithe more than your money, when you tithe your time, when you tithe your ministries, when you tithe your land, for the sake of unchurched and broken people. Amazing things happen. Early on, we started to set a vision. We said, any ministry that is for this church, what if we tithed it for the community? And what if the people in this church could freely give that ministry away? And I remember our meals ministry, which up until that point was really just for anyone at Discovery who needed a meal. Maybe you'd had a surgery, maybe you just had a baby, maybe you had a family member out of town, you needed a meal. Our meals ministry really took this to heart and so we started tithing our meals. And so many of you would suddenly give meals to foster families that are in the system and sometimes you would call because your neighbor needed a meal. I remember we got a call to the church from McKay Landing and someone said, hey, my neighbor just had surgery. It would be great if you would bring her a meal. So we got our meals ministry involved, and our meals ministry volunteer went to McKay Landing, knocked on that door, and this lady answered in a bathrobe. I mean, she was fresh out of surgery. And so our volunteer just said, hey, I'm from Discovery Church, and we bring meals to people. I understand you've just had a surgery, and I just want you to know, I I don't know what the surgery was. I don't need to know, but I've been praying for you, and our team have been praying for you, and here's a meal. And the lady went bright red, and she looked at uh, our volunteer, and she said, You, you pray for people with breast enhancement surgery? (laughs) We have always believed that the Bible is the word of God and we, we submit under the authority of the best understanding of the Bible, but we also recognize that the Bible was written from the margins of society, not the center of power. And particularly for those of us who are in the center of society, we will glean the most from Scripture by listening to voices from the margins. We also believe that we can enjoy the Scriptures together, that it doesn't have to be earnest in rules and regulations, it can be fun. We believe that a church is a place where everybody is needed and known. Look, I'm not naive, I understand that a lead pastor has a lot of influence, but the body of Christ is every single one of us doing our part in being needed and known. And, and over 15 years in, that's, this is just some of what I see at Discovery. This, of course, isn't all of it. You might be watching this and you might be thinking, well, what about or, or, or what about? This isn't an exhaustive list. This is just a taste. But, but this vision, these values, they are deep in our DNA as a church. They have gone well beyond just words for some time now. This is our embodied reality. This is who we are. And it's not that we don't have a long way to go, of course. It's not that there's still plenty to do, of course. And also, it's been a bumpy journey to get to this place, and we've made plenty of mistakes. You might enjoy driving by our very vacant horse therapy arena on the Eastern Parcel to witness one of our many well-meaning mistakes. So I don't share this vision to suggest that we've arrived or that there isn't more to do, I just want to note that this vision is very much embodied and it's happening. And not because of me, but because of God and us. You know, as the vision was cast, you heard it and you said, well, I can do something about that. And then you rolled up your sleeves and you set your calendar and you opened your bank account and you helped make this vision embodied. Not only that, many of you improved upon it or corrected it or sharpened it and some of you added to it. Vision in a church is never a one-way transaction and at Discovery, it has always been an embodied experience between all of us who are the body of Christ. God's spirit residing in every one of us, every one of us together taking responsibility to flesh it out, to embody this vision. When I look at Discovery and when I look at our incredible staff, and we do have an incredible staff, and our elders, and our key leaders, and our volunteers, I see embodied vision. You know, most of you know when I was younger, I had unique experiences that forged the way I lead and the way I think about God. And... You know, looking back, it makes no sense at all to give a 24-year-old a job as a trauma and hospice chaplain, but God knew that I needed the lessons from that experience, and it remains the most formative single year of my life. The head chaplain was trained by the founder of family systems theory, and he taught it to us, and it changed everything for me. And after chaplaincy, I studied family systems theory in graduate school while I was studying theology, and I've been studying it ever since. Systems theory is pretty simple. It helps you notice what is bubbling under the surface in you, and it also helps you notice what is bubbling under the surface in groups or families. It teaches you to pay attention to the spread of anxiety in a group, to notice how your own anxiety infects your ability to be calm and present. And it then offers tools to notice recurring behavioral patterns, both healthy and unhealthy ones. I don't mean to make you comfortable right now, but those of you who are married, um, the way you fight is predictable to a systems theory. What you fight about might change, but the way you fight, you can predict. And that's an example of systems theory. And so what I did was simply take it off the therapy couch and bring it into the church and into organizational leadership. And you can imagine, Way back then, how helpful that framework was for a frightened young chaplain who would walk into rooms of extreme anxiety several times a day. And that year, I attended to something like 300 deaths, sometimes five or six deaths in a day. And um, I don't know how much you've been around death, but it's not something you ever get used to. It's not like you just like, oh, what's well, another death. So my capacity to care for those people was 100% linked to my capacity to manage my own anxiety and my own fear of death. About 10 years ago, I began to integrate systems theory and theology to form a way of spiritual growth, and I started teaching it to our staff. And Renee Loring and Jimmy Kahn, who was leading worship, and Jake Brown, our youth leader, youth minister, they were the first group to try this with me. And over the years, we've honed the class and we've added to it and we still teach it to this day. In fact, this coming Tuesday, we will have a session and it started out just for our staff and then we extended it to any key leaders in the church and now it's anybody who wants to come as long as we have room and anybody in the city. And so on Tuesday, we'll have people driving up from all over the city as well as some of our staff and key leaders in the church. A few years ago, after I'd been teaching this class for about seven years, HarperCollins Publishing invited me to write this class as a book. And the book is called Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs. And about that same time, I launched a podcast of the same name where I bring on Christian leaders and I talk to them and ask them about leadership pressure and anxiety. i become known in the podcast field of getting well-known Christian leaders to talk about things they've never talked about on any other podcast. You can Google Managing Leadership Anxiety and you'll have a wonderful time hearing Max Licato talk about what makes him anxious and hearing Kay Warren, Rick Warren's wife, talk about what makes her anxious. Before the book and the podcast, maybe a hundred people in the world knew that I teach systems theory for leadership. It was highly localized to discovery. But after the book came out in 2019, more people started to discover my work. We hosted a conference right here in this room in March of 2020, just before COVID broke out. The conference sold out People flew in from all over the country and they spent two days learning this theory. Then COVID hit in 2020 and people were anxious and my book became a go-to resource. In case you're wondering, it has not sold very many copies at all. Um, I still haven't made back the advance from the publisher. And when you're a rookie author, they don't give you a big advance. So even that uh, I had not made uh, that money back. But in spite of modest sales numbers, it has had a profound impact and my phone started ringing more than ever last year. People wanted me to help their organization. Pastors were calling for help. And more and more, I was being invited to consult or speak or help churches or organizations in anxiety management. As of right now, I help people in Croatia. This week, I was on a Zoom call to a group of pastors in England. I'm working with a missionary in Madagascar. I've got a wonderful collection of people in the motherland back in Australia. Uh, Nine different countries, as, as of the current count. I've also been thrilled to see that my work has extended beyond just church leaders and missionaries. Business leaders have been reaching out. Health professionals have also been reaching out. Last year, I was asked to teach a symposium for COVID intensive care doctors and nurses. Last week, a group of school teachers in Texas reached out. What I've discovered since my book came out is that the way I've integrated systems theory and theology is unique. And people are hungry for it amidst very anxious times. And about that same time frame, where I was writing the book, Lisa went back to graduate school. She's a K eight uh, school teacher, and she went back to get a master's in clinical mental health counseling. And she graduated in 2018, set up her own practice, and became trauma certified. And her practice is now booked solid. And we've started to see the tremendous overlap between her work and mine, and. We started wondering last year what it would look like for us to serve pastors and leaders together. So late last spring and last summer, we started praying and seeking wisdom from God and from others about what God was doing in our lives and where God was leading us. I've, I've always had an old school understanding of calling where God calls me somewhere and I don't leave until God calls me to leave. And so every few years, Lisa and I have sought the Lord and said, what about it, Lord? Is this the time? Are we done? Is there more to do? And so really through the summer, we prayed and we sought wisdom from trusted friends and we asked our elders to join us in prayer and discernment. And our overwhelming sense from God became clear. I believe God said that my time at Discovery is not done. God has more work for me to do at Discovery, but my time as the lead pastor is coming to a close. I believe God has more for me here at Discovery, but it's time for me to move into a supportive role rather than a primary lead role. The vision that God called me to bring to Discovery is active and moving, it's embodied. It's time for fresh vision and a fresh voice to be our primary leader. In my heart and my hope is to remain on the preaching team, to continue to help with leadership development work, but now my primary focus will be on leaders and organizations nationally and internationally who want to work on emotional and spiritual individual and team health. As Lisa and I were discerning this and as we were talking to the elders, uh, one of the things that came clear to us is I've always had an informal ministry to pastors and leaders. Uh, when we were portable, I formed the Portable Church Survival Club. If you ran a portable church, I'd buy you lunch. We'd get together once a month in a group and we'd talk and share. Uh, Since we've been a larger church, I've formed the Northern Suburbs Large Church Pastor Initiative, and we get together on a regular basis. I've always had an informal ministry to leaders and a formal ministry here at Discovery, and we believe God is simply calling us to flip that to where my informal ministry is now becoming the predominant use of my time, and my more supportive role will now be here at Discovery. So I wanted to let you know that this next 12 months will most likely be my last as your lead pastor But not my last year at discovery we don't have plans to go anywhere we're very happy here but god is opening up doors for me to serve and i want to follow god where god is leading me leaders are facing enormous pressure nowadays more than ever before and god is calling me to put more of my time into helping them dig deeper and i'll just be frank with you i'm really excited about it and i'm really scared about it because I've never been a full-time consultant before. All I've ever known is pastoring. I've never run a business before. And what I'm most excited about is the same thing I'm most afraid of, is it's time for me to walk by faith again. It's not that I haven't been walking by faith. In fact, when people ask me, I often tell them the primary way I walk by faith is by leading a church. It takes a lot of faith. But now God's calling me into something I've never done before, and it's both exhilarating and terrifying, which sounds about right. Serving Discovery in this role has been the honor of my life. I simply cannot believe what God has done through us all together. And while I understand that a congregation looks to a pastor for leadership, I also want you to know that I have learned from and followed many of you. And you have taught our kids and you have loved us and loved our kids. You have inspired us. You have taught me what following Jesus looks like. A healthy relationship between a pastor and a congregation is reciprocal, and I stand here, sit here, grateful as a grateful beneficiary of your teaching and your example, and I've grown in my faith because of you. And I want you to know that what's most likely going to happen once this transition happens, the reason I said 12 months will be most likely is we don't know how long it will take for us to find the next lead pastor. We imagine it's somewhere between nine months and a year and a half, and I will serve as the lead pastor until the next person comes in. But I'll be expanding my ministry to other churches, and, and those people I mentioned, in fact, I was, I was looking as we were leading worship today and realizing that almost half of the people on stage are trained in my materials and are also coaching people uh, around the country and around the world. Jimmy has coaching clients, and Renee and Tom as well. So even still, my ministry will have a strong discovery component to it. I know that this COVID year has been a tumultuous year and that this announcement might add to the tumult for some of you but i would like us to remember that this is god's church it is the body of christ and paul reminds us that every part of the body is equally important you are more needed and known than ever and this year will be a fruitful year and fruitful year of ministry for Discovery, if we all take seriously God's call in our life. The fact is, this is an amazing church. This is an amazing church. I spend a lot of time listening to church leaders and many of them have horror stories and they hear about Discovery and they would give anything to pastor a church like this. And so I wanna thank all of you who have done your part to make Discovery such a radically welcoming community. The job of discerning our next lead pastor is in the hands of our elders, and they have been working hard to prepare for this for many months. Uh, we have always had a transition document with many possibilities, and once a year, I have met with the transition team, which is two elders, as we look at my calling and so on. And so, for many years now, we've had this transition document, and I don't mean to be too dark, but there have been many scenarios. We've looked at the, what if Steve gets hit by a bus scenario? We have the, what if Steve completely loses his mind and falls off some wagon and we have to fire him scenario. And we've had other scenarios too, and then we've had this scenario, the one that we will be executing. A slow, deliberative discernment process followed by a slow, deliberative search for our new lead pastor. I have always been privileged to serve with fantastic elders And I want to express my gratitude to all our current and our former elders who have cared so well for me and my family over the years. Serving with these elders has been a pleasure and I want you to know Discovery Church that this current elder board is first class. They are fantastic. And they typically serve behind the scenes. They work very, very hard, and you almost never see them. So for those on the camera and those in the room, I'm just going to ask our elders who are present with us if you would stand. And at the same time, we'll just show you your pictures on the screen, because our elders will be becoming more visible through this process. This is not all our elder board. I now invite you to do the very awkward back and forth between them standing and you seeing them on the screen. But you'll be hearing from our elders more and more often. Two of our elders, Alina Rich and Cody Gratney, are our transition team. So I'm going to hand over to Alina now, and she's going to share some next steps.
1: Steve has laid out beautifully the journey of discovery during his time as our lead pastor and the very deliberate steps that he made with the staff to bring discovery into the community as a resource for others. The vision to bring the hands and feet of Jesus to hurting and vulnerable people, vulnerable people, through providing meals, rides, partnering with local agencies, and even just being available to grab coffee. He and Lisa have been leading Discovery for over 15 years, and they have been so deliberate to listen to the Lord and follow his leading. Our mission and vision at Discovery is to love God, serve others, and share the reason for our hope. And this is just not some cute message that we put on our website. It is how we bring the kingdom of God to a broken world. And having been at discovery for almost a decade now, I know that this is the DNA embedded here. As Steve said, we've been working with him and praying, him, praying over him and Lisa as they have made this decision to move out of the lead pastor role. And it has truly been a privilege to walk alongside them both as they have sought the Lord's guidance during this decision-making process. And we will continue to walk with them during this transition We are so incredibly grateful for the years of dedication, hard work, and devotion that they have given to the staff and the families and all the local and global partners of Discovery through good years, hard years, through all of it. Steve um, shared with you, and we know that he has always had a heart for helping other faith leaders, and now he and Lisa have the opportunity to pursue this as a full-time ministry. Steve's book is now required reading in several seminaries, seven at last count. Um, I actually have it at home as well and I've given it to many people because it's really, really helpful. And he's often asked to speak to ministry students. He's working in a consulting and coaching role with some larger Christian organizations like Compassion International and A21. Steve has formed peer groups among pastors, missionaries, and business leaders all over the world who are going through his trainings. And we are truly and fully, and I can't emphasize this enough, completely supportive of Steve's decision, and we are so excited for them as they move into this next phase of life and how the Lord will lead them. So what does this mean for discovery? We will be conducting a search for our next lead pastor. As Steve mentioned, we have had a pastoral transition plan in place for many years, and thankfully, we've never had to use the Steve got hit by a bus plan or had to step in for some kind of um, moral failure contingency plan. Instead, we have been deliberately implementing steps to begin a search and transition a new pastor into Discovery. We hired an experienced pastor transition consultant who has been working with us to prepare for and guide us through this transition process. We will look locally and nationally and have a search advisory team of Discovery members to assist with the initial review of applicants and provide feedback to the elders. These types of transitions typically take a year or more, as Steve said, and we are going to, go into this search with open hands, open hearts, knowing that God's timeline timeline may not be ours. I have absolutely no doubt that God brought Steve and his family to discovery at a time where we needed him, where he was best used by God, and I know without a doubt that God is gonna do the same for us now. We understand that you may all have questions, particularly as you begin to process this information and this news, Um, The Elder Board has had time to sit in it and contemplate it. So we are available to answer any questions you may have. Um, And we do have representatives here today, as you've seen. Um, And you got to see our great pictures up on the screen as well. It's a good-looking group, no doubt. But they're also really nice, and they're very approachable. So you can reach out to one of them. You can also email pastorsearch at dc2.me, and we will respond to any question you may send. For those of you who are here today, we will have um, the elders out front along with Steve and Lisa, so please feel free to come up and talk and chat. For those of you who are watching online this morning, there is a link that will be put into the chat um, for a Zoom meeting at noon. We also will have an all-church Zoom meeting on March 30th, um, which should be up on the screen and will also be included in the weekly Discovery Communications email. Finally, we acknowledge that change is difficult. It's hard. It's unpleasant. But we serve a God who has already gone before us, and he knows what lays ahead. So we as an elder board ask everyone who is listening to come alongside us in prayer. Pray for wisdom and discernment as we review candidates. Pray that we are attentive to the Lord's will. Pray for the candidates as they are applying. And pray for Steve and Lisa and their family as they transition to a new season of life in fact join me now in prayer heavenly father we are so grateful for the leadership that you have provided with steve and lisa and the vision that you have guided them through to present here at discovery i know you are here lord i know you are moving in this place i know you are guiding and directing everything may we always be attentive to what you're calling us to lord We lay at your feet this time, this transition, and I love laying it down at your feet, Father, because it means I've given it to you, and you're taking care of it, and you are in charge of all. We know you have gone before us, Lord, and you are preparing things for us. Continue to speak to us and guide us, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.